If you could eliminate data entry for your truckload brokers, how much more business would your top performers win? TIE-TMS has an array of tools designed to save you hours a day. Import your entire spreadsheet of shipments. Let TIE create seamless integrations to your customers' internal systems. And if all of your orders come through email, TIE-TMS leverages AI to read an incoming email and enter the shipment for you. Visit tie-software.com to learn more about how you can empower your top performing brokers to increase their shipment volume today. I got friends only want to talk business. I got expenses to win these expenses. I got expenses to win these expenses. I've been reading all the work. I've been getting better work. I've been shutting down stars. And welcome to Put That Coffee Down, the freight sales show for closers here on Freight Waves. My name's Kevin Hill, coming from you from my undisclosed bunker in, in Oklahoma. Remote this week, uh, Richie Daigle, my co-host over here on the Sonar Sales Team. How are you doing, Richie? Doing well, but I would like to uh, make a note that you did not invite me to your undisclosed bunker. So whatever sort of, you know, inside intel that you have about whatever's about to happen, I, I'm, I'm not part of your inner circle, I'm finding out right now. So I'm doing okay, Kevin. <laughs> and I don't know what's going to happen, but you scared me a little bit last week with your, with your, <laughs> with your world outlook. So I, I thought I'd take refuge here. Oh, no. Well, I didn't, I didn't want to scare you into a bunker, Kevin. <laughs> well, we have a great show for you today. It's all about sales. It's all about upselling. Upselling is where the real commission checks are. It's always great to get your foot in the door to get new business, but growing that business over time, especially as a freight broker or anyone in, in freight sales, that's, that's the key. That's the key because it's very expensive to go out and get new, new clients in this industry. So whatever you can do to, to really take that first load and, and make it 10 loads a day, is is well worth the, the time and effort and and hustle that it takes yeah absolutely i'm excited about this topic um <clears throat> you know it, it it reminds me of my baseball years you know as a lot of things but um you know a, a common theme that we would hear in baseball is gold is at the end of the rainbow and that was said for a lot of people <clears throat> that were getting these big commission checks early on uh, as a signing bonus and they just get that one check of like oh you signed with the yankees for six million dollars but now you're going to go into you know, with miners and you're going to make peanuts, but you, you know, have fun with that one check. Well, the real, the real money in baseball is after you've had 15 years in the majors, you know, that's, that's where you make money. You know, the, the signing bonus check is nice, but it's the longevity of a career that that's where the real gold's at. And it's the same sort of thing with sales. You know, that initial getting your foot in the door and landing a business is, is great, but you know, expanding over time is, is where it's at and excited to jump into that conversation for sure. Yeah, that's a great analogy, Richie, because yeah, the signing bonus is great. You make peanuts in the minor leagues. You get up into um, into the majors, and you think you haven't made, but you're done. I mean, you're making the league minimums half a million, which is not peanuts whatsoever, but that's not where the real cash is. I mean, you have six years of arbitration, and then unless you sign the contract before arbitration, that first real contract could be five or six years into the major leagues before – you really start making that eye-popping number. Exactly. And, and that's, you know, when you sign a, a seven-year contract for you know, $8 million a year, now we're talking, you know, and, and you're building that career, not to mention all of the stuff that comes along with it, the advertising opportunities, the, all the ancillary income streams that can come to you that way. So, um, yeah, that's uh, it's a real thing. 
It is. It's definitely a real thing. Let's uh, let's tip the band real quick before we get started here talking about that and talking about Adam Grant uh, before our our guest, Andrew Elsener, uh, president of Spot Freight, comes on the show to join us to talk about growing accounts. And it is Ty's the ultimate domestic 3PL solution for LTL and full truckload freight. Thai TMS gives you a centralized platform for sourcing load coverage by connecting you to load boards, rate intelligence, and capacity tools on a single page. To learn more, visit thai-software.com. Again, that's thai-software.com. So, well, let's talk about something you really want to talk about this week. Uh, it's Adam Grant, and it is kind of a kind of a philosophy of, of life and business right now, right, Richie? Yeah, you know, Adam Grant put out a, uh, he puts out a lot of great content, you know, and there was a TED Talk that came out recently, just a little two-minute snippet. And I thought it was a good segue into this conversation because as salespeople, we often think that, you know, the finish line is getting that initial deal, you know, and that's, that's a common thought. Like, let's just get them across the finish line. You even hear it in the language that we use. Sometimes it's good to just rethink the position that we have and just our overall outlook on, on sales in general and think about, you know, what is the, the long-term, you know, life of a, of a the, the career of, of a B2B relationship. What does that look like? Um, but Adam Grant put out this great thing. He talked about identity foreclosure. And um, the, the big thing that he asked right at the beginning was never give up doesn't mean keep doing the thing that's failing. Right. So like, how do you know if your efforts are are towards a failing cause? Right. Like you have to create moments in your life where you stop and rethink your position <clears throat> in the same way. You know, and it's, it's for business and, and how you're performing in business, but also, uh, you know, in your personal life, too. You know, there's this concept called identity foreclosure. I think that we can all agree that none of us are or, or we're all happy that that we're not the person we were 10 years ago. Right. Like we're, we like we've we like mm -hmm. to think that we've learned things and we've grown. Um, so like taking time to be aware of that and aware of that growth and not holding on to certain positions and certain identity characteristics or what have you, um, because you've you know attached your identity to them. But being willing to reassess, reevaluate, rethink, let go of things and create space for growth. Um, yeah, that's. That was my two cents. I thought it was a good lead in here, Kevin. I, I'm curious to hear your thoughts here. Well, I have a question for you, Richie. And that is, what's the only constant in this universe that we all inhabit? Change. Change. You know, <laughs> we're always changing. You know, who we are today wasn't who we were yesterday. Who we, you know, it's not who we were five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. We're constantly changing new experience. Uh, you know, new experiences, new things, new challenges, new solutions. It really changes us. And you have to focus on those changing. And, and that's how you grow, how you grow, how you put yourself in a position, in lucky positions to take advantage of, of everything around you and not taking advantage in a nefarious way. But, but you know, taking those, those opportunities and being able to capitalize on them to increase yourselves, your quality of life, whatever it may be. I mean, that's really the, the, the focus. And if you're doing things that are counterproductive or doing things that really don't make sense, don't, don't really change you for the better, then it's time to stop those. It's time to, there's a lot of people and you know, nothing wrong with this, that they, they, they don't really do anything from say six o'clock to 10 o'clock. 
right? Except consume content, maybe watch a lot of TV, maybe do things that really aren't going to prepare them for that next step. And at that point, you're, you're, you're changing all the bad ways, any change that you're doing, and you're not setting yourself up for success. Yeah, you're spot on, you know, and, and I, I think it's important to be methodical and take time and be intentional about creating space to rethink and reassess, even when you're feeling good, not just when you're feeling bad, but just constantly be rethinking and reassessing on some sort of cadence so that you can identify the changes that are inevitably happening. And, uh, and, and you know, and you can be more confident that your efforts and your, your grinding is, is going in a good direction. So yeah, for sure. Yeah, you, you always have to keep that in mind. You always got to be thinking about, you know, the next step. What's the next step? And you said the finish line. Uh, you know, if, if you just accept that the, every finish line is just the, the, the natural next starting line. And yep. that you never get, you land that account means nothing. Yep. It means nothing to, to land a contract uh, or land a load, sign a contract. It means nothing is that next step that is going to make that a success or not. And for all of us, we are no better than our last self, mm-hmm. right? We're no better than the last time we did something. So to be able to, uh, to, to, to say I did it and mail it in just does not exist in this life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, so curious to jump into this conversation though about um, you know, expansion and you know, thinking what, what does sales look like on the other side of the finish line? The finish line, I should say. Yeah, and what is that finish line? You know, how should we define that finish line? How are we going to do that? Um, but with that, I think we have Andrew Elsinor, who's the president of Spot Freight, to talk about you know growing those accounts. Once you get to that finish line that we all we all kind of focus on, how do we take it that one step further and really flourish our, our book of business? How are hey. you? Hey. hey. Good, good, good. How are you doing today? Doing well. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Perfect, perfect. So we're going to talk about growing your your, your accounts. Hey, can I ask you a quick question? How did you get started in, in, in freight brokerage and kind of your career tra- trajectory? Yeah, it's a kind of strange. I was a biochemistry major, uh, so I had knew nothing about freight. Didn't even know it existed. Um, and I went and taught high school for two years which is another, I always say high school teachers, it's the best ground for learning how to sell because you, you have to learn how to listen. Your customer doesn't want to be there. Uh, and so it's it, it really taught me a lot. Uh, I worked for an asset-based company. Uh, my business partner and I uh, grew that and we got into, we were in automotive freight. And so I had an idea on uh, shipping and JIT supply chains, primarily in the packaging industry. So uh, we started Spot January 8th, 2009. We actually moved a load for the uh, Green Bay Packers uh, out of Wisconsin or into Wisconsin. And then uh, so currently today we have about 400 and some employees. We uh, have offices in Indianapolis, Charlotte and Scottsdale. And then we have revenues about close to a billion dollars in spend. Uh, we're we're kind of unique in the freight world. So in the kind of the topic today, we only have about 600 active customers. So we're, we're, we're really big on uh, customer retention, growth within customers. We have about a 99% retention rate and then 150% growth rate within customers. So we're, we're kind of unique in that space. And, and our, our freight profile is very different. We're about 
84 uh, to about 85% contractual. Uh, so in terms of a brokerage mix, freight mix, spot versus contract, we're, we're a little bit unique in that space. So I went from a high school teacher scientist into a uh, freight person. Well, we have a saying here, freight waves, that you don't choose freight. None of us choose freight. Freight chooses us. Then it won't <laughs> let us go. Yeah. Once it gets in your blood, it's in. It is. That's a fact. It is. Go ahead, Richie. Sorry. No, I was just, you know, um, my, my little brain from last week is spinning around that, you know, you might be a good person to talk to later about fungi networks and transportation and the similarities because I'm, I'm really in, intrigued by that whole concept. But um, sure. Yeah, yeah. just moving in. I'm really curious about, it sounds to me like you've built this culture around, you know, retention, expansion, providing good service, you know, really getting into a, an account and growing the business within that account. How did you, did you just fall into that? Did that happen naturally? Or what did you do to build that culture? No, it, it was it was very intentional uh, in our approach. We didn't want to set something up when we we sat down and said, how do we create a network that uh, gives enough density, uh, one, with a customer, but two, for the carrier? Because you, you constantly have to be thinking about um, leveraging your network. And so when we sat down with, with customers, from the beginning, we, we have a set of things that I like to go over. And, and I said, there's basically four key areas that I look at at a customer. One, we want to be in the contractual space. So when you go out after a customer, you know, you said something on the intro about you, it's not one load. You know, one load's nothing. That, that's, that's easy. It's, it's post that. So when you look at contractual space, how does their network work? Uh, how do they tender, et cetera? Uh, two, we look at spot market. So can we leverage a solid contractual base to help the customer in the spot market uh, area? And then third, we look at projects. So if we go to a customer and a customer is doing a recall or they're doing out of orbit uh, stock transfer orders or whatever it is, how do we come in from a a project-based approach to help them through that? And then last, we look at the relationship. And, And we don't you know, when you look at a relationship, a lot of people think, well, you know, it's just entertaining or talking to them. No, it, it, it's, you know, learning what their SLAs are, service level agreements. Uh, how are we performing against them? Uh, two, what are their KPIs on a daily basis? And then if you look at the org chart overall, uh, all the way up to the top, all the way down to uh, load coordinators on the day-to-day frontline level, how are we intentionally making sure we're, we're improving their their lives, their experience at work? And, and so... Really, I, I, when we set down at the beginning, we set targets, utilization targets, and then, then we set strategy based on those four pillars. Yeah, that's, a, you know, relationships so is a key word. I heard it in there and in just the, the, all the information you're gathering. So we, we often talk about that being part of the sales cycle, you know, the, the discovery or qualifications type of, of sales cycle approach. And that's just one part of the sales cycle. But the best salespeople I know or always, every conversation is discovery, qualifying, just a normal conversation for them. They are getting great information because they're usually intellectually curious and, and they really do care. Uh, but it's just something that, that always happens. Every every contact, they learn little bits of information. All of a sudden, they aggregate dull. And um, for lack of a better term, they go in for the kill. Right. Yeah, I'd agree. I think that the, I call it... In- when new salespeople start here, I call it the dummy curve. 
Um, but basically, you know, when we start in freight, we're, we're curious and we ask questions. And then as we get going in a year, two years, we become pretty smart, we think, and we start prescribing medicine before they know the patient needs it. And, and to your point, that true curiosity, when you, you think about the supply chain, how, how are they graded? How are budgets set? How are they measured against their budget? And you look at the KPIs and SLAs, how are they performing? And so constantly looking at that and thinking, how can you help somebody? And, and if you always have that focus, and I think it comes pretty easy. It, it's not sales. It's, it's It really comes down to helping somebody's supply chain. That's that's fantastic. And, you know, I think trust is a big part of that, right? Like you have to have, you have to be able to establish trust. And you have to be able to establish trust when, you know, you're, you're prospecting and it's your first interaction with that customer. So a lot of these things are buzzwords, relationships, right? Long-term viability. And, you know, like there's a lot of things where people might listen to those words and say, yeah, everybody says that. I hear that from everybody. What are you doing in the beginning to show that trust and prove that trust? Like, what are the steps that you take that allow for your, your clients to be comfortable with you right from the get-go? Yeah, that, that's a great. So I believe in sales. I, I have a theory on sales and, and the front end prospect sales. I call it a pattern interrupt. And that's that's when you come to somebody new and you're saying, why would you talk to me and why would you talk to me today? Uh, when we come after somebody, uh, the first side is the pattern interrupt. And then that is being prepared, knowing the supply chain, uh, questions that are relative to them and, and something that they can understand that you know what you're talking about or being cogent in this in the space. The second half, I call it a trust journey. And the trust journey is, hey, whether we did a first load or, or we had a first conversation, when you think about trust, one, it, it's there's lots of ways. I see new salespeople and, and trust is built over time. And it's not, it doesn't happen from one conversation. It doesn't happen from uh, you know, an email exchange. It happens through one being prepared. So you know, are you, are your is your email well written? Is it, your signature clean? Two, do you do you understand about their supply chain? Do you do your research? I, I hear a lot of salespeople call and say, "Hey, can you tell me? I want to learn about your supply chain." No one has time to tell you about their supply chain. You you need to call prepared. So where are the warehouses? Um, where are there? Do they? Who are their customers? Are they doing LTL? Do they do truckload? Are they using intermodal? Are they are they constrained by geography? Um, and as you start working down questions, you start relevant uh, questions in regards to their KPIs, their SLAs, how are they measured against it? Uh, are you providing any value in exchange for their time? So when, when you ask somebody for time, you're, you're taking that away from their daily operation. And so are you providing content that they can that makes them a better uh, person at their job, whether it's um, information about the market? And so we really take step by step and, and work our way down. Um, on a trust journey, but really the best way to do it is to be very specific and, and understand their supply chain and take the time to build that trust. And and so I see a lot of new people call and, and really, hey, it's it's one call and I hope we get loads. That's not how it works. And it, it never uh, leads to long-term sustainable relationships. So, so Andrew, that's a really good, uh, it's fantastic, number one, but you, you mentioned on the first part of that pattern interruption. And since you're a biochemistry uh, professional, high school teacher, uh, and, and pattern interruptions are so important, can we dive down into exactly what that does and what that does to 
to a prospect or a customer or anyone that you're talking to, uh, it's kind of a, a little bit of an element of surprise that you introduce in a very good way. Right. It, so, so most new salespeople, they listen to other salespeople or there was a trainer that, that you know, we, we always teach non-scripted sales, and, but people hear other people. And so the first call is, hey, this is Andrew with Spot. How are you doing? And, and a shipping manager or, or a procurement manager hears that same intro 20, 30 times a day. And so in, in, I always relate it back. I give a lesson about shoe salespeople. Uh, when they when they're when a customer walks in, they always say, "Are you looking for anything?" And everybody always says, "No, I'm not." Well, the pattern we don't want to be sold, so we say, "No, we're not." Uh, in freight, it's the same thing. They call and say, "How you doing? How's the weather?" I'm with Spot out of this. I want to learn about your supply chain. And so, when I teach reps, it's it's not do research for three days. It's it's research for fifteen to thirty minutes. But we we have a set what I call it's a map that we detail out certain questions. And when you lead in with a question, if you go back to the shoe sales example, if you look up and the, the prospect is wearing white shoes, you can say, hey, what are the last three shoe types or brands you bought and colors? That person doesn't know how to respond because they were waiting for, hey, can I help you find something? Are you looking for anything? So when you call somebody, it's, hey, I noticed that you have a, a three DCs uh, in Georgia. Uh, you know, if you look at your supply chain, it looks like your customers will be nationwide. How have long hauls impacted your day to day? And so that question starts a different type of response, and they're more honest in those first to five, five to seven seconds, and it leads to to a better conversation uh, over time. And they know that one that you're prepared, you invested in them. Two, you you have an understanding of what you're talking about. And so I, I always urge salespeople in that first pattern: don't call with the same intro. Call with some actually some customer relevant facts or something that would help them. Uh, tell them that and show them that you actually took time and understand what they're doing. <clears throat> That's fantastic. And you're also shortcutting straight into the meat of the conversation. So you're being mindful of the other person's time. You're not calling to talk about, you know, whatever chit chat or small talk before right. you finally get to the point. You just, you know, here's a shortcut. Let's get right to it. What's going on? Uh, that That's yeah. fantastic. Um, so what is your methodology? So, and, and we just have a few minutes and, and I guess the last question here is once you get that account, what's next? Like, how are you continuing to get that trust to the point, that tipping point where that client says, here, here's a whole bunch of loads. We trust you now. We're going to give you a, a, a lot of business. Right. And that's been our, our bread and butter at spot is we, we don't go and turn customers. We, we, we look to be the largest. The first thing that you have to set out is a roadmap and what I call the utilization target. So when you look at a customer, customers want to be highly leveraged or utilized with fewer providers. There's a bunch of tail providers at the end, but you really want to set a target based on the size of the account. And then once we do that, we'll go out after the network and again, focus in those core buckets. How, how can I be a contractual provider uh, that, that provides value to the supply chain. And so when we do that, it, it is very intentional from bid to bid. Um, we quarter to quarter, month to month, you know, you should be having regular business reviews with the customer, um, actively seeking lane or uh, network opportunities. You know, we have their bids. It did, that bid that people get, it's not a one time a year thing. That should be a living, breathing document. Uh, two, it's building trust in the spot market. 
a lot of people, I see this across, I travel a lot uh, pre-COVID and meeting with customers across the country. Most people at the end, I always ask a question. I always say, if you think how many spa market loads, what percentage of your supply chain spa market? And they'll say, you know, 15 to 20 pre-COVID. And then I'll say, what percentage of your providers are allowed to bid? And they'll tell me. Then I'll say, what percentage of those people actually bid? And it's amazing to see the number of people that do not bid on spot market. And so, so as you go out, it's, it's constantly performing, seeking opportunity. Uh, it's, it's all the little things, you know, creating value for them, performing at a high level yeah. and creating an experience. So, hey, Thank you so much, uh, Andrew, for, for coming on today. We're running a bit short, so sure. I will have you on again very soon, but it's a great discussion. Likewise. Thank you. Appreciate all you guys do. Thanks, Andrew. Bye. I got friends only one of the